outs for when we've uh, signed up to speak because it's, it's easy when people get busy and um, or stress about like what are they hearing and stuff like that to, for somebody to leap in and go, hey, I'll take it, it's okay. Um, and so we normally really avoid that, but uh, the Lord had given me something a little while back and um, I really felt from him to like offer to Stephanie to swap with her. So she is taking the spot I was signed up for in July. Um, just to sort of share about um, something the Lord's really done in this place of just making sure that we don't sort of make a way out for each other from the things that we've committed to by his spirit, uh, which kind of lines up a little bit by, with some of the stuff I'm going to talk about today. Uh, this message comes out of the 10 days, and specifically a prayer set and an unction to pray, which is a funny, like, old-fashioned word that we still use in the church. Um, and uh, being conscious of that, just to say, you know, sometimes you get, like, the Lord says, and it's like a phrase, or he says, read this passage. And then sometimes it's just like he tells you, I want you to pray about this thing. So that's kind of, um, he, he gave me a little bit of insight, but it wasn't like a, um, here's a prophetic sentence or two. It was just pray about this um, insight. And that insight was, he basically said, um, as a parent, you want to give your faith to your kids and you're watching to see if they will carry it forward. And he said, that is completely wrong. <laughs> he said, your faith that you were, you are sowing seeds into them as, a, as your kids, and those seeds have to die. The faith that you're sowing into your children has to die for it to become their faith, to grow up into their faith. And no, no child is going to survive on their father's faith. Um, so that, that's the launching point for this, but this is really not going to be about parenting and kids and, and arrows fired true and stuff like that, um, or quivers full of arrows, uh, because I think there's, there's a deeper thing, which is how much I still don't in my heart, um, see death the way the Lord does. And... I want to share it out, um, and Lord, as I say these things that I know by your spirit to be true, I want my heart to know they're true. I can say them because I know them by your word, and I know them by your spirit. Um, but I want it to be written deep into my heart as well. So let's go to John 11. through the Lazarus story again. And hopefully remind ourselves of some things and maybe um, see some things new. John 11, now a certain man was sick, Lazarus of Bethany, the town, uh, the town of Mary and her sister Martha. 
It was that Mary who anointed the Lord with fragrant oil and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was sick. Therefore the sisters sent to him, saying, Lord, behold, he whom you love is sick. They're interceding and they're crying out for healing, right? Um, In a very tangible way because they can actually send a messenger right to Jesus as a physical man in a nearby town. Um, When Jesus heard that, he said, this sickness is not unto death, but for the glory of God, that the Son of God may be glorified through it. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So when he heard that he was sick, he stayed two more days, which is, uh, right? Like, it doesn't parse. It makes no sense to us. Uh, And yet he waits for the Father's timing, and he knows there's something more important than healing Lazarus happening right now. He stays two more days in the place where he was. And, and there's like the sense that the way he sees this, there is not the urgency that all around Lazarus see here. They're like, this is sickness and this is bad and we know where this sickness is going. You know, like by the fact that they're sending for Jesus and, and you can hear the urgency in them going, you know, this, this is not, oh, Lazarus, is, he's got a cold and we know Jesus heals kind of thing, Uh, they feel the importance or the the weight of this illness and where it's going. Um, And Jesus sees it entirely differently. He said two more days in the place where he was. Then after this, he said to the disciples, let us go to Judea again. And the disciples said to him, Rabbi, lately the Jews sought to stone you and you're going there again? which is interesting because they've got the same death focus, right? The, the sisters of Lazarus are like, he's going to die from this illness. We need to get this illness stopped now or he's going to die, the urgency of this death. And uh, the disciples are having the same issue of death is so big. You know, you're going to die if you go back. They're going to get another chance to stone you again. Jesus answered, are there not 12 hours in the day? If anyone walks in the day, he does not stumble because he sees the light of this world. But if one walks in the night, he stumbles because the light is not in him. So his eyes are open to reality. um, And I'm feeling the need to constantly be vigilant to the fact that like the reality we see around us, the reality that is are these bodies is a shadow of reality, which is with the Lord. Um, It's so easy. It's so easy to slip into just treating what's around us right now as real when really it is a fallen, broken version of what is real. And I, I wonder, you know, what they thought about this statement because it does seem a little bit like, okay, Jesus, that didn't really say anything about stoning you in, in Jerusalem, right? Um, These things he said, and after that he said to them, our friend Lazarus sleeps, but I go that I may wake him up. I love um, the gentleness of Jesus in that, you know, it's clear he knows exactly what's happening. He knows that Lazarus is going to die. 
And he says this in this gentle way to give an invitation for the disciples to start looking at the whole situation the way he sees it in reality, listening to the Father, knowing something beyond this physical life, this fallen life. Then his disciples said, Lord, if he sleeps, he'll get well. However, Jesus spoke of his death, but they thought that he was speaking about taking rest and sleep. Then Jesus said to them plainly, Lazarus is dead, and I'm glad for your sakes that it was not there, that you may believe. Nevertheless, let us go to him. Also the kindness of Jesus. You know, I'm going to invite you to kind of come in gently to what I understand and see, but I'm also going to spell it out for you if you need it. You know, how many times he's like, here's a parable. Come on, you know, like, come into it by things that you understand and the things you don't understand. And then, okay, even the disciples didn't get it. And as my friends, I will tell them out. This is what it means, you know. I love how he, he knew exactly when to ask a question and invite people to answer it for themselves by the Spirit and come in without him saying, this is what it is. And then when he knew, this is the time to say, this is what it is. Lord, I want to be like that. I want to hear you that clearly. Not only what you're saying, but how you're saying it. And the fact that he says, I'm glad for your sakes that I wasn't there. Like, that there is a place in the understanding of the Lord to go, yeah, that, that death was a good thing, you know? Like, everything in our flesh recoils against that idea. But it's true. It's true he can look at a death and say, this was good. Because he sees it entirely differently than we do. Then Thomas, who is called the twin, said to his fellow disciples, let us also go that we may die with him. Still not hearing what he's saying, right? He's pointing them over and over and over again to this is not what you think it is. And he's, and he's talked about, like, you know, I can see. I can see where I'm walking. And the rest of you are like, oh, no, what's going to happen? What's the dark?" Thing right around the corner if we go into that dark place um, what might happen there and he's like there is no dark place to me I see by the light I know when my death's going to be and I know what death is so um, I started off talking about the, the, the faith that we give our kids or try to give our kids that we sow into our kids and how it has to die and be resurrected as their faith. Um, so I just want to keep inviting us to, you know, this is all about our physical death, but it's also about everything else. Um, not just the fact that we have mortal bodies that die and we're waiting a physical resurrection. So um, if we can kind of keep that in mind 
I think that's what the Lord is talking about all across the board. It's also interesting that, so, uh, Thomas's reaction is kind of, uh, he hasn't changed at all how he sees death, but he's willing to go to the, okay, we're just gonna, we'll go and we'll all die with him. And it's, it's this weird sort of, like, I can be resigned to death, which is kind of a, um, a trick of the world, you know, the spirit of the age. It's one of the things that you see atheists um, talking about is like, oh, all of those people who need faith to be okay with death, but we, you know, we just know we're just going to die and it's okay. Um, which is entirely a different thing than seeing death the way the Lord sees it. So when Jesus came, he found that he had already been in the tomb four days. Now, Bethany was near Jerusalem, about two miles away, and many of the Jews had joined the women around Martha and Mary to comfort them concerning their brother. Now, Martha, as soon as she heard that Jesus was coming, went and met him. But Mary was sitting in the house. Now, Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you'd been here, my brother would not have died. But even now, I know that whatever you ask of God, God will give you. So she actually, she has a wonderful, truthful um, thing to say, you know. She still got that little bit of, you could have healed him, but she's going to carry on through believing that there is uh, resurrection power in Jesus. And Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. And Martha said to him, I know that he'll rise again in the resurrection of the last day. And Jesus said to her, I'm the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me, though he may die, he shall live. And whoever lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? And she said to him, yes, Lord. I believe that you're the Christ, the Son of God, who's come into the world. So this is about Jesus' power, his resurrection power. But even deeper, it's about who Jesus is. It's about his identity. As, and he said it earlier. He doesn't just say, I can resurrect. He says, I am the resurrection and the life. And she says, you are the Christ, the Son of God who's come into the world. Which is where we start to find that shift in seeing death rightly. Knowing who he is. And when she had said these things, she went her way and secretly called Mary, her sister, saying, The teacher comes calling for you. As soon as she heard that, she rose quickly and came to him. Now, Jesus had not come into the town, but was in the place where Martha met him. He still isn't rushing to do what he's come to do, right? He's taking his time um, for good reason. Then the Jews who were with her in the house and comforting her, when they saw that Mary rose up quickly and went out, followed her, saying, She's going to the tomb to weep there. Then when Mary came where Jesus was and saw him, she fell down at his feet, saying to him, Lord, if you'd been here, my brother would not have died. So she has that little bit, that mustard seed of faith to believe in the healing. But she, unlike her sister, does not go right to, but you can still do something.
Therefore, when Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who came with her weeping, he groaned in the spirit and was troubled. And he said, where have you laid him? They said to him, Lord, come and see. Jesus wept. Then the Jews said, see how he loved him. And some of them said, could not this man who opened the eyes of the blind also have kept this man from dying? So again, here's a group of people who have enough faith to believe in the healing and have enough understanding of who he is to know that he does heal, but they haven't crossed over into full understanding. They've set aside death as something different, like it is the roadblock beyond that nothing can get through. Then Jesus, again groaning in himself, came to the tomb. It was a cave and a stone lay against it. And Jesus said, take away the stone. Martha, the sister of him who was dead, said to him, Lord, by this time there's a stench, for he's been four days. So she's come, even though she did have that understanding, she was reaching for and understanding. She's come back now suddenly to the practical real world, right? She's come back to the nitty-gritty of dead body smell. You know, this is not going to be pretty. I'm recoiling from the idea of the, the, um, the mess of death, the horror of it. Which is, which is what I see in myself, is when, when I'm talking about like really looking at what's around us as a shadow of reality as something that is a broken version of what's true that we're for a time in until we come to the full fulfillment of what is true. Um, It is so easy to get caught up in the details and the physicality of this life. So much so that we start thinking that this is life. Jesus said to her, did I not say to you that if you would believe, you would see the glory of God? I just want to highlight that because it comes up again when we start talking about death and resurrection, that um, there is the death, that death and resurrection right at the heart of it is the glory of the Lord and how he's decided to reveal his glory in the earth after Adam's fall. Then they took away the stone from the place where the dead man was lying, and Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me, and I know that you always hear me, but because of the people who are standing by, I said this, that they may believe that you sent me. Now when he'd said these things, he cried with a loud voice, Lazarus, come forth. And he who had died came out bound hand and foot with grave clothes, and his face was wrapped with a cloth. Jesus said to them, loose him and let him go. So of course, this is not We make a distinction between raising the dead and resurrection because there is a resurrection uh, that even Lazarus is waiting for right now. Uh, He died again. Lucky Lazarus (laughs) got to go through it twice. Um, But also blessed Lazarus to have been used as an instrument for the Lord's glory and the um, opening of the eyes of everyone who was around him if they would receive it. 
And I wonder, I wonder, like, if you would have asked, right, afterward. So give him some time to process and then go, Lazarus, you know, what do you think? Would it have been better if Jesus had just shown up and healed you? Or was the death thing worth it? I wonder how he would have looked around at the people that he loved and himself and what may have changed after that and been able to say, yeah, Jesus was right. It was better that I had to go into a grave and come back out wrapped up in grave clothes. It was a good thing that I died. Then many of the Jews who had come to Mary and had seen the things Jesus did believed in him. So we know, we know, like this grief drew a community like grief does, right? People who may have been a ways off came because there was a funeral to go to. And there was a family to comfort that they loved. And in the process, they found the Lord. They found resurrection and life and salvation in it. And how can we not say that that death was good if that's what came of it? Then many of, oh, I read that. (laughs) But some of them went away to the Pharisees and told them the things Jesus did. Then the chief priests and the Pharisees gathered a council and said, what shall we do for this man works many signs? If we let him alone like this, everyone will believe in him. And the Romans will come and take away both our place and nation. So I want to just emphasize real quick here because um, I think we, we see how the Pharisees and the high priests were scared of being replaced. But they also feared a nation being destroyed. They were, um, you know, somewhere in a deluded place, they were trying to be the caretakers of what they were over. And one of them, Caiaphas, being high priest that year, said to them, you know nothing at all, nor do you consider that it is expedient for us that one man should die for the people and not the whole nation should perish. Now this he did not say on his own authority, but being high priest that year, he prophesied that Jesus would die for the nation, and not for that nation only, but also that he would gather together in one children of God who were scattered abroad. So what a fearsome thing it is to prophesy and not understand what you're prophesying. Um, this, I just, I think I probably repeat this a lot, but it was, I, I just, something that bowled me over starting in 2016, how many people could prophesy something that was true and then go on to explain it in a way that was completely not the heart of Jesus? Um, and I think it lines right up with what Caiaphas is doing because he's looking for the continuation of physical Israel. He's looking for an ongoing life of this nation that doesn't involve a death and resurrection. And so when he prophesies this out, he can only do it in that context of hoping that this thing will be sustained forever. 
without interruption. And yet, in this process of going, okay, you know, this one guy's gonna die so that we can just keep going. And it was a weird sort of keep going because they are totally under subjugation. Um, he also, he buys, theoretically, by this, by his logic, he buys, um, what, another 40 years before the temple gets knocked down and another maybe 70 years before the third revolt ends up making the Romans come in and just slaughter most of Israel and ban uh, Jews from being in Jerusalem and renaming the whole thing even so that they can kind of rewrite the history of it. Because he's framing that, and that's, I see that at the core of, of the prophecies that are being released in the last six years. Um, the ones that are true to the word, you read them, you're like, that's the Lord speaking. But then they get framed in a sense of, and that means that all of this is going to keep going. Not all of this is going to die and get resurrected. And it completely changes the meaning of the words that the Lord is giving the prophets in that context. There's a lot of victory celebration going on right now that's not for a victory of the Lord. Because there was no death and resurrection in it, there's just holding on a little bit longer. Then from that day on, they plotted to put him to death. It's just amazing how much death spirals around this that you can see, like, you know, it's like he resurrected a guy. He's trying to show us that death is not the final answer, and their answer is, let's do some death. Let's go to John 12. But Jesus answered them, saying, The hour has come, the Son of Man should be glorified. Most assuredly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the ground and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it produces much grain. He who loved his life will lose it, and he who hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. So, um, funny that you brought up your wheat. Um, Because I was, as somebody who mostly grows vegetables, and some fruit, I've been kind of like thinking about like, okay, so the seed's going into the ground, but with most vegetables and fruit, the seed is something that you, is, you don't eat, right? It's the part you get rid of after you eat. So putting it back in the ground is no big loss because, you know, he could have said, he could have talked about grapes, he could have talked about um, olives, and those kind of things, you, you take the meat from them, the juice, the oil, and then you've got seed to put back in the ground. But that's not true of wheat. You have to reserve back some of the stuff you could have eaten in order to get more wheat. It's a sacrifice at the end of a season to go, this is the portion that has to go back into the dirt. And there is no resurrection apart from death. How then can we hope to avoid it without hoping to avoid resurrection? 
Um, there is something in me ever since I first paid any attention to the end of days. Um, that is like, ooh, maybe I get to be one of the ones who doesn't have to die, who just goes to meet the Lord. And it's purely out of a fleshly response of, I can skip death part. Which is completely missing the point. Um, Because there is no resurrection apart from death. And though there will be some who do not bodily die and meet the Lord in the air, the Bible is very clear that those people have willingly died to themselves in the process. And it's too easy to take that as light metaphorical language. Um, And it would be good to really ask the Lord, what does that mean? So that we don't let ourselves off easily. Like, it's a phrase that's still used in society, you know. Um, And in the church, for very light things which cheapens it, you know, just mild irritation and I die to myself kind of thing. Um, but if we're going to die to ourselves to in the way that our brothers and sisters over the last 2,000 years have died physically for the Lord, it's going to be more than I didn't snap my my kids that one time. And it just points out something in my heart. If I keep, if if my response to going to be with the Lord is, ooh, maybe I can skip the dying part. Um, I'm missing the glory of what I should be longing for in that moment. And, and I'm completely missing that the Bible is clear that a lot of the last generation are going to physically die for him. If anyone serves me, let him follow me, and where I am, there my servant will be also. If anyone serves me, him my father will honor. Now my soul is troubled, and what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour? But for this purpose, I came to this hour. Father, glorify your name. And then a voice came from heaven saying, I have both glorified it and will glorify it again. There it is again, the glory of the Lord in this process of death and resurrection. The obedience to it, the embracing of it. Therefore, the people who stood by and heard it said that it had thundered. Others said an angel has spoken to him. Jesus answered and said, This voice did not come because of me, but for your own sake. Now is the judgment of this world. Now the ruler of this world will be cast out, and I, if I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all peoples to myself. This he said, signifying but what death he would die. The people answered him, We've heard from the law that the Christ remains forever, and how can you say the Son of Man must be lifted up? Who is this Son of Man? So, Again, there's that, there's that, we have that trouble. Like we see eternal life and we think it means shortcut around death instead of through death into eternal life. We have trouble 
seeing that eternal life includes death. So they know, they have, there's, there's, a, there's an element of understanding there that the Messiah is forever. But not what that means. And that's, you know, that's the impulse of my heart. It's like everything, everything in my life, I want it, I want it to be maintained. I want it to kind of hold on to what it is, you know, like, a piece of my house falls off. We have a stucco house. <laughs> and a chunk fell off. And now I'm like, okay, i got to learn how to stucco a house. Um, but, you know, and I'm like, everything's falling apart all the time. Lord, can't you keep it together for a while? You know? Instead of going, hallelujah, everything's falling apart, <laughs> Lord God. You have resurrection in all of it. You know, we want our kids to, like, not make the same mistakes we did, you know. Because we want them to sort of be preserved in this place we see of youth and innocence when they're young. And we just want it to be kept that way, right into adulthood and beyond. And the Lord's like, I've actually got something better than that. For my glory and for their maturation into my glory. And it's easy to say. <laughs> and Lord, just again, rewrite it into my heart. These things that I can say, knowing they're true. I want to know they're true. But the day of the Lord, uh, 2 Peter 3.10. Jump. Second Peter 3.10, but the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night in which the heavens will pass away with a great noise and the elements will melt with fervent heat, both the earth and the works that are in it will be burned up. Therefore, since all these things will be dissolved, what manner of persons ought you to be in holy conduct and godliness, looking for and hastening the coming of the day of God? Because of which heavens will be dissolved beyond fire and elements will melt with fervent heat. Nevertheless, we, according to his promise, look for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. All creation is destined for this death and rebirth. Everything is tested by fire. And what a, what a link to there, you know, for him to say. How ought we to be if we know everything's destined for fire and hastening the day that it will all be burnt up, scattered into its elements because we know it's going to be resurrected into, into what's real, what's good, what's no longer um, tainted with sin and no longer subject to death, though it goes through it.
Lord, I, I want to be someone who is longing for that day, not just sort of skipping past and imagining you creating it all anew and perfect, but really longing for the day where you take it apart, where we enter in completely, Lord, to your death and your resurrection. First uh, Corinthians fifteen twelve. First Corinthians fifteen twelve. Now, if Christ is preached that he has been raised from the dead, how do some among you say there's no resurrection of the dead? But if there is no resurrection of the dead, then Christ is not risen. And if Christ is not risen, then our preaching is empty and your faith is also empty. Yes, and we are found false witnesses of God because we've testified of God that he has raised up Christ, whom he did not raise up, if in fact the dead do not rise. For if the dead do not rise, then Christ is not risen. And if Christ is not risen, your faith is futile. You're still in your sins. For it's in his death and resurrection that sin is defeated. Wages of sin are death. And he didn't come to keep us from dying, but to show us how to enter into our death and rise, to invite us to follow him down that road. Then all those who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If in this life only we have hope in Christ, we are of all men the most pitiable, because this life is a shadow of what's to come. And if the Lord came just to sort of go, okay, your sins are forgiven and live out this shadow until its end, we miss all the fullness of that resurrection into life. This life here really is, I mean, we're dying from a very early age, you know, we're falling apart. It doesn't take but a couple decades before we start to feel it, right? Um, and yet we want to hold on to this protracted death process and call it life because we don't like the idea of the end of it. Which just on its face is like holding on to something that, um, that we don't want. We're actually holding on to the death part by holding on to this life because we won't let the death finish through and reach resurrection, reach the true life. Which again is our mortal bodies, but it's, it's everything our relationships and our um, physical possessions and the jobs we do, the things we're called to, our ministries. Like, we all know that this prayer room is a shadow. It is a beautiful gift the Lord has given us here, but it's not. It's not at all what the Lord wants for us. It's what he's given us now as a taste of what he wants for us 
in his temple forever. Our families, you know, they're, they're a little taste of the family we're being born into with our heavenly father and our coming bridegroom that we'll be with forever. So holding on to, you know, our little natural family or our little natural group of, of friends who are like family um, is holding on to a seed of something that's going to be beautiful. And it's, you know, it's born out of that seed. It has the DNA of that seed. And I look forward to knowing you all in a thousand years. But it's still a seed. It's not the real thing. Our relationships that we're in right now with their kind of messiness and their tangles and us trying to love each other through Jesus. Um, it's just a taste of what he actually paid for when we'll be connected through him, hearing him so clearly, seeing him so clearly, and seeing each other so clearly. And thank you, Lord, that we get a taste now. But Lord, help us long for and celebrate that these seeds, all of them, the plot of land that I have been given to live on right now, the work of my hands, my skills, the revelation you've given is all just, it's just seeds ready to be sown, awaiting the revelation a million years later. The land I'll walk for you, Lord, and govern for you. But now Christ has risen from the dead and has become the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For since by man came death, by man also came the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, even so in Christ all shall be made alive, but each one in his own order. Christ the firstfruits, afterward those who are Christ that is coming. His death and resurrection is not something that he did so we don't have to do it. It's something that he went first that we may follow. Then comes the end when he delivers the kingdom to God the Father, when he puts an end to all rule and authority and power, for he must reign till he's put all enemies under his feet. The last enemy that will be destroyed is death, for he has put all things under his feet. But when he says all things are put under him, it's evident that he who put all things under him is accepted. Now when all things are made subject to him, then the Son himself will also be subject to him who put all things under him, that God may be all in all. So I just want to point out that I see, I, I hear this wrong. The last enemy that's destroyed is death. He defeats death, but it's not, oh Lord, you've defeated death, so I don't have to have any. It's by going through it and rising that death is defeated. 
1 Corinthians 15, 42. I'll just point out that, uh, that back there in, yeah, shortly after that section I stopped reading, um, Paul talks about dying daily. Just to keep floating that idea that we keep, um, this is about our physical bodies and our maybe 80 years on the earth, but it's also about everything. It's about the nations that the church so desperately wants to hold on to and reform instead of witness to into death and resurrection. 1 Corinthians 15, 42, so also is the resurrection of the dead. The body is sown in corruption, it's raised in incorruption. It's sown in dishonor, it's raised in glory. It is sown in weakness, it is raised in power. It is sown a natural body, it is raised a spiritual body. There's a natural body and there's a spiritual body, and so it's written, the first man, Adam, became a living being. The last Adam became a life-giving spirit. However, the spiritual is not first with the natural and afterward the spiritual. The first man was of the earth, made of dust, The second man is the Lord from heaven. As was the man of dust, so also are those who are made of dust. And as is the heavenly man, so also those who are heavenly. And as we've borne the image of the man of dust, we shall also bear the image of the heavenly man. Now this I say, brethren, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does corruption inherit incorruption. And yet, when we get a little bit of faith, that's what we long for. Like our flesh wants, can I just have a little bit of the life touching this flesh so that it'll be sustained instead of let this incorruption go down into the earth so that incorruption can grow up. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed in a moment in the twinkling of an eye and the last trump, at the last trumpet. For the trumpet will sound, and the dead will be raised incorruptible, and we shall be changed. So just reiterating here that Jesus said, you know, those who would hold on to their lives are going to lose them. That this resurrection, if it comes when our bodies are still breathing, It comes because we have entered into his death. We have chosen it. We've celebrated it. Lord, take me to the place where I can say, my death is good. Not save me from my death, but my death is good because it leads to my resurrection in you. Side of, yeah. uh, again, he, this passage talks about death being swallowed up in victory, and again, it's swallowed up in victory because it could not hold, not because it could not kill, not because it does not come upon us, but because it can't hold on to us. And by that death and resurrection, we are also freed from sin.
Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. Which is, like, why does Paul suddenly go there? I mean, he's talking about these heady things about resurrection, right? And then right at the end, he's like, hang on, you know, do the work of the Lord. It seems so, like, you know, kind of like down to earth. But they're tied. You know, he's saying, your work is going to look like it's dying. Just because that's the way, that's the wisdom of the Lord, right? To the natural eyes, every work has to go through fire, right? He said um, that, that, that every work is tested by fire, and some of it just gets completely burnt up. It's, it's thin, spindly straw that's consumed like that. And then for some, there's gold left over after that fire, but it all goes through the fire, and in the midst of looking at that work on fire, the natural eye is going to go, it's all over. But faith and the knowledge of Jesus says, he's pulling the gold through that, and it's going to be there afterward. Even though everything in us is like, grab some blankets and a fire extinguisher. Or, Lord, please put out the fire. They say, no. I'm the one who said it. Or I'm the one who gave you space to set it. Matthew 16, 21. From that time, Jesus began to show to his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem. And suffer many things from the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and be raised the third day. Then Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him, saying, Far be it from you, Lord, this shall not happen to you. And we talk about this a lot, but um, I just want to emphasize that it's going to be our impulse. It is our impulse to do this for each other, for the people we care about. It's to rush in and go, no, 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 don't. Don't, don't die. It's messy. I feel the pain of your pain. Stop it. You know, there's got to be a better way than this. And woe to us if we do that. Just kind of talking about this, you know, like a simple little thing, like going, oh, you're really wrestling over the message that you're, you're um, set to give, that you committed to give by the Spirit, and, and it could help you out. It's like, what a dangerous trap we can so easily lay in front of each other. Or even not offering a way out, but coming alongside and thinking we're being friendly to curse the death that someone's going through and say, you know, oh, this is terrible that this is happening to you. And oh, if there's only a way out, and, you know, I'll, I'll pray that, that this is going to be taken away from you. But he turned and said to Peter, get behind me, Satan, you're an offense to me, for you're not mindful of the things of God, but the things of men. And this is, you know, the primary work, one of the primary works of Satan. 
that we think that, you know, like Hollywood, he's, he's a big um, go out and kill everybody kind of guy, Satan. And really, you know, it's a wonderful thing to him to get somebody to go, you know what, just resist that death. Just step back from it. It's exactly what he tempted Jesus with, you know. You can have the resurrection without the death. Response team, come up. Then Jesus said to his disciples, if anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever desires to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. And he's had me um, recently asking him, uh, instead of, Lord, what do you want me to do in a given situation, to go, Lord, where can I pick up my cross in this situation? And it's been a wonderful conversation, talking to him like that instead. Um, So I read this out at the beginning. This is what uh, the Lord led me to just this morning. Um, I'm going to read it again. For here is what the Lord says, sing with joy for Jacob, shout for the chief of the nations, proclaim your praise and say, the Lord, you have saved your people, the remnant of Israel. Look, I'm bringing them from the land in the north, gathering them from the far ends of the earth. Among them are the blind and lame women with children, women in labor, and together a vast, vast throng returning here. They will come weeping and praying as I bring them back. I will lead them by streams of water on smooth paths so they won't stumble, for I am a father to Israel, and Ephraim is my firstborn son. And when he took me to this passage, I was struck by the commandment to sing with joy. And he's doing this. This is, you know, Jeremiah prophesying this. It's going to take a long time before they're actually seeing any of these things. And yet the commandment is celebrate now. Celebrate um, in captivity, in the seeming death of the nation of Israel, because you know that my resurrection is coming, my bringing back together out of captivity. And so, Lord, I, I want a heart that knows this to do it truly. To praise you when you heal, to praise you when you don't. Because I know even better than healing is resurrection. I thank you, Lord, that you do provide here in this shadow of what's to come. You do heal, you do strengthen, you do um, bless us. But I thank you that you say it's good. That a seed goes down into the ground that it can come up and produce. Just help me know it. 